Support Our Sinclair and listen ad-free. Go to patreon.com slash Our Sinclair. Our Sinclair is also brought to you by the Div MMC Future from thefuturewas8bit.com. Quit waiting on tapes and fooling around with WAV files and load your games instantly with the Div MMC Future, a jumperless, switchless SD storage solution for all ZX Spectrums, from the 16K all the way to the plus three. Get yours today at thefuturewas8bit.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Our Sinclair. I'm John. I'm Brent. And today, Brent, we're going to be talking about Underworld. 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 <laughs> How German can you make it? That's exactly. <laughs> um, when did you first um, start your fascination with the Underworld? Oh, geez. I've been, I've been a part of the Dark Lord uh, <laughs> Kingdom for quite some time. Uh, I'll have to say, when, you, when I, I got the call, the desperate call saying, please... Please come and sit beside me. It was a supplication for sure. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, okay. I, and I, I saw a picture of the game before I actually loaded it up. I was like, yeah, I think I'm in for a good one. It's so. right up your alley. You know, I I think that my fascination with the underworld, just in general, not necessarily, you know, land of Satan, <laughs> but just sort of your general, like, land beneath the land <clears throat> comes from the Goonies. Subterranean type Subterranean things. type yes. things, yeah. Uh, I love when I, I I was very young when I saw the Goonies for the first time, and uh, and I thought, man, it would be so cool if like I could find just a place in my house where there was just this hatch and I could go down under the deep. I can actually, I have a story about this. I have okay. a story about everything. Um, in my neighborhood, not necessarily behind my house, but close to my house, right beside uh, Craig Harrison's house. Okay, if you're familiar to where mm-hmm. they used to live. Yeah, everyone out there. Do you know where Craig Harrison used to live? Um, there was a large, and I mean larger than I've ever seen, uh, drainage pipe that went under the road. Mm. And it went under the road and then took a turn. It was big enough that you could walk into just hunched over. So we would always kind of dare each other to go inside the tube and, you know, can you go all the way to the bend and go around the bend and see what's right? Because it was dark and scary. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we were like eight or nine or whatever. So eventually, one day, we ventured into the tube and we made it to the turn. Mm-hmm. And, and that was it. We ran out <laughs> and it was literally, now, how, it was an, uh, we accomplished something. How big, How what was the diameter of the tube? Huge. I okay. mean, it was like, we're talking like uh, like a three foot diameter. So this is, this is, not something that, uh, I mean, you didn't feel claustrophobic in there. No, it but. was, the scary part of it was the darkness mm-hmm. and knowing that, you know, you, because we always were told, we play around it and people would, don't go don't in there, go that's in there. it, you know. Right. And a creek ran through it, mm-hmm. but it was just a trickle of a creek. Right. It was probably, I'm sure at times it was a raging creek, mm-hmm. and, you know, they needed that, that big tube. And it went, like I said, it went under the road, but it didn't. Like, if you crossed over the road and went to where it should come out, it didn't. So it either went over the road and at the at the bend went down or up a little bit and then went somewhere we didn't know where it came out. So it was like mystery time. Oh, yeah. Have you have you been to revisit the tube oh, in gosh, recent no. years? Because at no. this point, not only would I not fit, but I would uh, 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 
venture in there and probably get lost. <laughs> <laughs> but to your, to your, to, for all accounts, the tube is probably still there, right? It absolutely, 100% is still there. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in the rare times I go into the back, heart, back half of my development where the tube is, uh, I always think about it mm -hmm. because it's, it's visible from the road, but just barely. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, you just kind of pass over and you think about all the memories of, um, for a tube, there's a lot of memories attached to it. So right. there you go. Right. What do you think our fascination is with the underground? Well, it's, it's got that forbidden nature. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even uh, in the coal mines, the tourist trap coal mines, when you go underground, the whole part of it being exciting and thrilling is you're going under a mountain. Mm -hmm. And I part of it is, you know, that shouldn't exist. You shouldn't have the mass of a mountain above you and be able to walk around and feel the cool breeze. It just, it's just not yeah. natural. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that that's, that's definitely a big part of it. And also, it's, it's, it's one of these things sort of like going under the water where it's the, it's the unknown. You don't exactly. know what's down there. Exactly. Have you, you've done... Uh, Cave spelunking, well, not necessarily spelunking, but you've been into like Carter you know, Cave. I've done yeah, I've done the Carter Caves and Mammoth Cave, and the other thing I always think about is the Beckley Coal Mine Exhibition. Yep. Yeah, uh, so we have plenty of opportunities to venture under the ground it here in West Virginia, Kentucky area. <laughs> if you're ever like, you know what, son, I'm sick of you. I'm done. Time you, to go underground. If you want to go all Gollum, That's West Virginia right. is the place to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Brent, we've got a package here Ooh. that has arrived uh, for us from the UK. I can tell it's from the UK because the Queen's head is oh. on there. And uh, <laughs> always, always the uh, the clarion pipes. I mean, where's this from? Look at the address. No, no. Is there a Queen's head? Oh, there we go. It's got to be England. So, and I know some of what's in here, but some of it is a mystery to me will be revealed in this letter. It says, Hi John, as you may remember, the Royal Mail has produced a series of stamps that highlight the UK's video game industry. I know what this is. I bought a few bits and pieces for myself, but thought that you would like a set for your growing retro collection. I've included three sets of the stamps. Please pass a set on to Aaron and one to Brent. As a bonus, I've also included three of the limited edition gamer collector packs. Ooh, I think there are only 2,500 of these. That's right. Again, one for each of you. I hope you like them. Keep up the good work, Duncan the Dunk. Oh my gosh, coming Duncan. through. I actually saw these on uh, 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 Ashen's channel, mm. and I was like, man, those are pretty awesome. And I, I actually looked into getting them sent over here and the exuberant cost was just like, I can't do that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm actually, this is, I'm very excited. And I know what this is. I'm very excited. Duncan has included some uh, uh, Amiga stationery. <laughs> yeah, that's a super <laughs> awesome, Duncan. All right. Let's tear into these things. Tear no. them apart. All right. Here's one for you. There's one for me. And there's one to sell on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> He'll never know. <laughs> So let's just do a quick recap. I think that we, we might have covered this on Amigos, but on this on this set of stamps, you've got Elite, Sensible Soccer, Wipeout, Dizzy, Worms, Lemmings, Micro Machines, and Populous. Now, of these, which which one of these, or two of these, or three of these makes you go, what? Why in the world is that on a stamp? Uh, out of all of these, there's only one that I think doesn't belong, and I think that that game is Micro Machines. 
Uh, Micro Machines is okay. It's an okay game, but it is not a genre-defining game like the rest of these games. I hugely, hugely disagree. Okay. I actually think that Micro Machines, especially considering where these were produced, uh, uh, the way Ashens tells it, that was a huge game over there. Mm -hmm. And um, Ashen said, of the ones that are on here, if I if I'm recalling correctly, the ones on here on here that doesn't really make sense is Worms. Really interesting. And he says uh, uh, a lot of these are you know first for their their types of games, whatever. Mm -hmm. Where Worms is a very uh, that it's, it's derivative is yeah. very has been done very many times before. Mm -hmm. And I I don't necessarily agree with them. But I don't necessarily not agree with him either. Well, out of all these, which one of these do you like the least? Like Wipeout. Yeah. I mean, without even thinking. I don't know that I've ever played Wipeout. I have. And I'm someone who grew up with Super Nintendo F-Zero. Mm -hmm. And while they are, they're different. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Wipeout is a much better sense of speed and less about racing. It's more more about the speed and staying on the track. Mm-hmm. Uh, I prefer F Zero, uh, so I would have, if in my opinion, I would have put that on there. But that isn't why that's on there. Sure, right. Um, for me, my my least favorite of these games is is Very definitely happy. Micro Machines. Although I I don't think I've played Wipeout, so it's possible that I might hate Wipeout. But um, my favorite by far, that the game that I put the most time into is definitely Worms. I've played so many rounds of Worms on yep. so many different platforms. Yep, I would say the. Uh, like, I would pick up any of these games right now and play mm -hmm. them and be incredibly happy. I would say probably the farthest down on the list is actually going to be Elite. Okay. Because uh, Elite 2 was so much better. Yeah. It was, it was <laughs> so yeah, much better. Absolutely. I agree with you. Um, all right. Well, thank you for that, Duncan. But that's not all. There are other things in here. This is the... But wait, there's more. There's the limited edition oh. collector pack. Now, I have no idea what this is. I did not watch Ashen's video, so uh, this is comes in a very nice tin. Yes. Um, in fact, he did not have one of these. Really? He just talked about it. I think they call it a steel book. Is that what they call these these days? Is that a different thing? Uh, we'll say yes. No, he did have this. Okay. Okay. Because this, I believe this is part of the stamp thing. Okay. So in inside this tin, uh -huh. these are so nice. There are little booklets that describe each game, um, and uh, and some some development facts here. Um, and then there are these uh, larger versions of the stamps themselves, which these are these would look much better. I mean, it's, I'm not saying that the the stamps on the wall wouldn't look cool, but having an extra large version that can be seen from afar, oh yeah, is super neat. And I am. Um, I am a bit of a philatelist, if I may say so. Uh, and uh, I like falafel. <laughs> and I have several sets of stamps that are framed upstairs, and uh, I will add these to that collection. Um, so thank you so oh, much, Duncan. Chet, did you check out the actual bottom no, thing? No. Is that a COA? That is a, it is, and it's a uh, hard plastic. Oh, wow. 1338. What's 1339. your number? Wow. Right after there. Hey, hold on to these. Who knows? In a couple of years, might be able to retire. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, but probably not due to this. That's true. I mean, if we win the lottery, the show really takes really off. Really takes off. 
Thank you so much, Duncan. Yeah, un unbelievable, Duncan. Thank you very much for this. I am. It, it's incredible that I saw a video about these and now I'm holding one. It is. It is. Um, all right, Brent. Let's talk about. We've got one more thing to unwrap here, and this actually came from Amiga Ireland. Uh, the one and only Chris Foltz gave these to me, um, and uh, these are postcards about the ZX Spectrum Next. Now, I know that you're not as heavily invested into the Spectrum scene. Have you heard about the Next? I have not. Okay. So imagine if they recreated a ZX Spectrum, but gave it sort of uh, modern outputs and gave it the ability for full emulation, yet uh, a layer on top of that would, that would allow you to uh, produce games on it that the normal Spectrum could never do. Now... You say emulation, so inside of these is like a Raspberry Pi type yes, of Yes, that's correct. I believe that there is a custom board inside of these that, that, that emulates the, the ZX Spectrum, but it also gives it additional, you know, capabilities. I, now, are we talking like a ZX Spectrum on a chip? Oh, I don't, I, I don't know exactly if it's like an FPGA thing or if it was a specially produced chip all on one chip or if there's a whole board in here. Uncertain, uncertain. I'll have to say though, I I, I find that That's somewhat what it exciting. Like. Oh, and a good move on the keyboard. I'll yeah. say that right off yeah. the bat. They've corrected. They've corrected <laughs> the sins of the past with the keyboard, and it's also very pertinent that uh, I'm unwrapping these today on the show because I saw for the very first time a picture of a delivered uh, Spectrum Next. And this is one of these Kickstarter projects for the ages. I believe that this was originally Kickstarted either three or four years ago and is just now shipping. You know how these things go oh, in the course. world of, 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 of hardware. Course. They've had multiple delays, but they wanted to make sure they got it exactly right. And they finally have. These things are now finally shipping. And uh, thank you, Chris, for uh, sending us or for giving us these, these postcards. These are all, of course, famous uh, Spectrum titles. Um, and uh, and uh, in in art form, uh, I believe that let's see, does it actually say? Oh yeah, Way of the Exploding Fist. Uh, you got your uh, QL Games Compendium. Wasn't uh, aware that that was one of the landmark titles for the system, but okay. Um, Fred again, you know, I were, were early <laughs> on in the in the world of the Spectrum. I was not aware of that, and that's got to be Ant Attack, Ant Attack yes. right? Which we just covered last week. So. Thank you so much for those, yeah, Chris. Very, very cool. Very cool. I'm going to have to make a whole like Spectrum shadow box with all I this stuff. I was about ready to say, you, know, you could take those in those thick frames mm -hmm. and put some foam behind them, really do it up nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So be on the lookout for that. All right, Brent, let's jump right in to this week's game, Underworld. I, I want to go back to the, uh, let's go back to the stamps. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So... Brent, this game came out in 1984. Yes. This was the right in the wheelhouse of the ZX Spectrum where uh, the, the machine was just a couple years old. Uh, the you know the 16-bit systems had not been released yet. There, there wasn't a whole lot of competition. There was some, but the, the Spectrum was still kind of at its peak in terms of its popularity, I, sure. I would say. Um, and uh, this game did receive a C64 port uh, one year later in 1985. Yes. Uh, it was published and developed by Ultimate Play the Game. And we've done uh, a couple... Actually, you know, I'm trying to think if, if we've done one or maybe this might be just our second Ultimate Play the Game 
uh, game, but they are among the most famous developers for the Spectrum. I can believe it. Um, these, this was a, a team of two brothers, Tim and Chris Stamper, and they were based out of uh, Leicestershire in the UK. They, they, they started out working for an arcade company um, called Ashby Computer and Graphics. And it's a little bit hazy. Um, th these guys, one thing you've got to know is that a lot of this stuff has not been confirmed because these guys don't ever talk. They never talk to the media. They're very, very secretive. They say, Even to this day type of thing? Yeah. They say that they, um, you know, they, were, they were really, really busy during the Spectrum era. Um, and I could not find any substantiated reports of any of the things that I'm going to tell you. <laughs> okay. So, um, it's said that they uh, were programmers, and what they would do is they, they were actually licensed by um, various Japanese arcade companies to do development work for them. Okay. okay? Uh, the most sort of, um, I don't want to say outlandish, but the, the, the one that was hardest for me to believe was that these guys wrote Gyrus. Wow, that's a pretty big claim. <laughs> it's especially big because I went to the Gyrus Wikipedia page and it was clearly developed by a Japanese dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying that that wasn't a pseudonym for Tim and Chris Stamper. <laughs> I'm just saying it's unlikely because this guy still walks among us. <laughs> I want asked if he if uh if he was the one that made Jairus, he says, hi. <laughs> yes, right, right. Now, uh, one game that they, they it, it is said that they designed that I can believe more is Blueprint. Are you, remember Blueprint, oh, the arcade game? Oh, I very game? much know Blueprint. Uh, Blueprint, I believe, is one of the few arcade games that actually physically chides you for not reading the instruction manual when you do poorly, or the instruction card on the machine. So I can believe that they developed that. That was actually uh, it was uh, published by Bally Midway, so it's yes. a Western type deal. So I can believe that a little bit more than Gyrus. And these guys also made a lot of arcade conversion kits where you convert one game into another one. Absolutely. So yeah. it's clear that they spent a lot of time around arcade games, and the games that they made for the Spectrum reflect that. These weren't guys that were just trying to make their first game with little knowledge of what a game was. Right. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, this game. Uh, or, you know, um, the ultimate play of the game went on to become a... Uh, they were bought by U.S. Gold in 1985. Then, through various circumstances, they actually reacquired their name and their assets just a few years later in 1988. So I think what happened is uh, perhaps U.S. Gold hit hard times and uh, the Tim and Chris Stamper decided... Yeah, for a sweet, exactly, sweet deal. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And do you know what company Ultimate Play the game morphed into? You play? Uh, no. Which would be Ubisoft? But that's, you're, you're in the right <laughs> continent. Uh, they went on to become rare. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So Tim and Chris Stamper continued to be involved in the scene under the rare moniker. And around the time that they ceased to be Ultimate Play the game and became rare, they abandoned... I don't want to say abandoned, but they, they gave more and more of their attention to where the money could be made. Not in the world of home computers, but in the world of video game consoles. Probably a good good call for yes. one to make sweet, Which is why pain. they were able to stay in the business until they voluntarily retired in 2006. You mean through <laughs> smart planning and hard work? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, um, Rare is pretty famous in the console world. Um, there are some titles I'm sure that immediately spring to your mind. When I say Rare, what do you think of? 
Uh, well, you got to go with uh, uh, Goldeneye. Goldeneye, number yeah, one. Number one. Okay. Any other ones that spring to mind? Well, I mean, Donkey Kong, right? Country, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Killer Instinct. Killer Instinct. I'd say those are the big three. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Um, however, they developed a ton of games for the NES. And unless you are really, really looking at that title screen, you would never guess it because they, it wasn't real big on the boxes or anything. And so I'm going to tell you just a couple games that uh, Rare developed on the NES. Okay. Okay. Wizards and Warriors. Okay. Okay. RC Pro Am. Okay. Okay. Now, what is uh, what is a better version of RC Pro Am with multiple types of vehicles? There are no there, RC Pro Am is the peak of that. Type really? Of game. See, I, Aaron has told me several times that you really like a game called Cobra Triangle. I do like Cobra Triangle, okay. but it is, it I is, don't think it, that's comparable you to don't RC think it, Pro-Am. To me, to me, it sort of feels comparable because you're, you know, you're racing around a course. I mean... Wow, is that all it takes? That's all it takes. <laughs> that's all it takes. So anyway, they did that, and the, the one game that I knew that they did before I started doing this research was Solar Jetman. Do you remember Solar Jetman at all on the NES? No. Okay, <laughs> Solar Jetman was a really wacky game. I, I could tell it was weird and not Japanese from the beginning. Okay. Uh, it is a physics-based game where you control a ship that's going through an area not unlike the underworld, and you have to pick things up, and these things have a real weight to them. And it's a very physics based thing where you're kind of going back and forth yes. with a, like a pendulum-type motion to get yes. things. So. I remember, and to this day, uh, our our friend Jamie borrowed this game from me and never returned it. <laughs> so <laughs> I bet he he just keeps it on his bedside and just I, it just laughs know, maniacally. I, 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 every time I go over to his house, I see him petting something. I thought it was his cat, but it might have been that cart. It's Solar Jetman. <laughs> so anyway, ultimate play of the game on the Spectrum, uh, best known for a Lunar Jetman, uh, which was the sequel to Jetpack. Uh, a tick attack, or as Aaron likes to call it, attic attack, uh, and um, the sequel and prequel to this game. This is the mid, the middle chapter of what's called the Saberman trilogy. Uh, Saberman is your dude there, and the first game in the Saberman trilogy was a game called Saber Wolf. Uh, Saber Wolf is a. It, did you ever play Gilligan's Island on the original Nintendo? Yes, but not to any. Length. Okay, well, do you remember the viewpoint? How it's like you're looking down at it, and you can see, or like Metal Gear. I yeah. guess that might be a more, more, <laughs> more, more apt comparison. You know, if you're if you're going for that core audience, okay, <laughs> right. we'll dumb it down. <laughs> so that's what Saber Wolf looks like. So within these three games, you've got all three of the famous perspectives on the spectrum. You've got sort of that like top down. Then you go to this game, which is clearly side-scrolling, and the third game in the series, Night Lore, set the spectrum on the path of the isometric adventure. There you go. So many of these games. So Ultimate was really ahead of the curve. Fun fact, they actually completed Night Lore before these two games, but they knew it would would cause these two games to lose sales because it was so much better than these viewpoints. They purposefully held it back. Probably a good move. Yeah. So these guys, not dummies. Not no. dummies. Well, I mean, if they went on to make Rare, you know, they've got... They, they were doing they it right. They got the Yeah, yeah. So this is a one-player game. Uh, it supports both joystick and keyboard control. Uh, you will need, if you're using a joystick, you will need the keyboard as yeah. well. Um, it is a flip-screen <coughs> platformer, and there's a massive... This is a massive world. Uh, would you care to take a guess at how many screens are in this game? You know, I would say it is 129. 
you're off by a factor of six. Wow. <laughs> there are 597 screens in this game. Ah, okay. <laughs> I won't say I don't believe that, but okay. <laughs> I've seen the map. Someone has done it. There are 597 screens. This game is the largest game of this kind that I think has ever been done. Um, there is There are so many screens in this game that... It just boggles the mind why they would make it so big, other than to put it on the box, which is maybe it was part That's of the marketing. Well, I mean, you mean marketing had something yeah. to do with the design Crazy, of the game? Crazy, right? <laughs> so this game is split between two sort of zones. You start out in the upper level, which is known as the castle, and then you descend into the underworld, which for some reason is not called the underworld. It's called the caverns. Missed opportunity there. Uh, your hero is Saberman. Saberman is a, uh, he's just sort of a normal looking dude. He's got a pith helmet on, so you know he's ready for adventure. Um, and uh, he traverses these levels by jumping around, by falling a whole bunch, and by getting knocked around. Also, his huge uh, grappling rope system. Right. That... He, he, has, he has a rope that is available to him. When you uh, jump in, when you're in a cavern and you jump across a chasm, uh, Saberman will uh, he will sense danger and immediately deploy a rope. The rope is it, it instantly appears too, so it, it saves you from from danger sometimes. And of course, though the 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 slight misnomer there, it's not like you're like aha, oh I'm going to get hurt. <laughs> no, no, you walk into the screen and your guy takes control of himself, mm -hmm. leaping into danger. Right, right. Now let's talk a little bit about Saberman's leap. Uh, this is a very unique way of uh, of uh, propelling himself. Uh, would you like to describe what it looks like? Well, he he, he is definitely part frog. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> and this dude did not skip leg day. <laughs> he can jump several factors taller than himself. Mm -hmm. uh, this is it's it, in a way it's it's a more modern feeling platformer because the jump is a little bit more floaty, a little bit more Mario like, but. Uh, the and I'm talking I've about. I've seen balloons with lots. You know, I'm talking about in relation to a game like Jumpman, where it's right. basically, boop, you know. Um, but this guy, he always jumps with two legs. He always, it's almost like the beginning of a swan dive that is never completed. <laughs> I don't know. I completed a few of them. That's true. That's true. So anyway, what do you have on the screen here? Okay, uh, you have uh, your score up at the top. This is a score based game. You've got a gem counter. What the gem counter does is it, uh, whenever you pick up a blue gem, uh, it counts down, and as long as that counter is counting down, you're invincible. So that's important. You've also got the depth. Uh, the depth just tells you how far you've gone into the underworld, and you can go down like 23 levels. Because again, this game is, according to the instructions, 597 screens. And by depth, don't get confused. It's actually up and down only. It right. Because that's important for what you're actually trying to accomplish. Exactly, in the game. exactly. And you also have an inventory screen here, and the inventory is important. Uh, the things that you pick up are weapons in this game. Uh, you've got three weapons. You've got a fire. Oh, actually, you've got four. Yeah. You got you've got the slingshot. The slingshot is your garden variety pea shooter that you pick up right at the beginning of the game. Unless you don't, and then you kind of blunder around like I did for a <laughs> then, while with no weapon. Then, then you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you've got the fire torch. You've got the bow, and you've got the dagger, okay? All three of these weapons, uh, I would not call them uh, precision tools. <laughs> no. No, they are not. When you hit the fire button, these things just sort of emanate from your body <laughs> in, in just random directions. You everywhere. know, like when you, you look down and you see there's a spider on you, and you go like this. 
where you just kind of flail around. That's right. That's Imagine right. when you were doing that, you were throwing things. Now, you do have infinite ammunition for all of these all of these weapons, and they're all projectile weapons. There's no melee attacks no. In, in this game. Despite the man's name. Right. So, you, um, what you do is you are tasked with finding each one of these weapons, and you need to use each one of these weapons on a different guardian. Only by passing by each one of these guardians, you can actually escape the underworld and complete the game. Uh, each one of these enemies is only susceptible to one weapon. Uh, there are three. There's the devil, there's the demon, and there's the beetle. I don't know. One of these I, is not like yeah. the other. <laughs> I don't know. Now, even more confusingly, the devil can be hurt by a fire torch. Yeah. <laughs> I thought fire was his bag. <laughs> What's going on with that? Where's the holy water at? He's like, oh, it's too cold. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, the demon can only be slain by the bow. And a beetle can only be slain by a dagger. And so. You know what the, the, what the uh, slingshot can slay? Nothing. <laughs> oh, well, all normal enemies, all just the, like everything else. Exactly, exactly. So you really want to get rid of the, the slingshot as soon as you can. That's the, that's, the, that's the goal. So anyway, the gameplay in this. Um, Brent, why don't you describe what's going on with the gameplay here? Um, I don't want to. No, it's... <laughs> the game is trying, to, in my opinion... Mm -hmm. The game is trying to do a Metroid-like thing because you travel up and down just as much as you travel left to right in this game. Mm -hmm. And every room that you go into that is not a dead end will have multiple paths. Mm -hmm. uh, the goal of the game, like uh, John was talking about, was to find the weapons to slay the next beast so that you can move to a different part of the uh, castle slash underground and continue doing that until you find your way out. Uh, it is not a, it, it's a platformer only because there are platforms to jump one, but it is way too manic in my opinion to be a platformer. Okay, okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about what makes this different than most platformers. I'd say the, 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 the first big thing is that you are invulnerable to enemies yes. in this game. Uh, whenever you run up against an enemy, you just bounce off him. And at first, you're like, this is great. I love this game. No, this is actually the worst possible thing that they could have done. Um, because what happens is this, first of all, this is running on a 48K spectrum. There's a lot going on on the screen. So there's only so much AI you can program into 48K. So the what they what the programmers have done is they've had these monsters sort of spawn in randomly, and the monsters just keep coming. They never quit. They never you, ever quit. You kill them, and they keep coming. And uh, they they combine that with a series of very intricate jumping puzzles in order to get from one screen to another. Oftentimes, you've got to blindly jump into another screen and just kind of either through trial and error or through luck know where the thing you're jumping to is on the next screen. It's very frustrating. Even if there were no monsters, this would be difficult. The monsters yes. make this the ultimate exercise in frustration. Yes. Yep, I agree with all that. Uh, the other part of this is uh, I the things that you're jumping on are literally just floating in air. Uh, they try to kind of mask it up a little bit. Like there'll be pictures or bookshelves uh, for platforms that kind of make sense to just be floating in air. Uh, but everything is lined up to jump from or to. Mm -hmm. uh, items aren't just randomly placed. You can tell that they were put there for a reason in most cases. Uh, like John said, though, the enemies are non-stop. And I don't mean like 
oh, you might have one enemy on a screen you can kill, and then you, you know, you've got four or five seconds to make your jump. They are continuous, and they are endless to a degree that is so frustrating that I really had to take a step back so I didn't destroy this game. <laughs> um, there are also bubbles that you can travel on, mm-hmm. and that sounds great because you don't have to jump. You just get on and ride, except everything knocks you off. Right. Everything knocks you right. off. It's amazing. The first time that you, you, you ride atop a bubble and you're like, this is great. I'm flying. And then, and then a monster <laughs> spawns right on top of you and knocks you out. And the thing that kills you in this game is falling from too great a height. Yes. Now, I will say in the world of fall damage platformers, you're given a pretty long leash before you die. But also in the world of, you know, there are not many other platformers where you're traversing this amount of vertical distance. I yes. mean, you're falling, when you're falling, sometimes you're falling two or three screen widths before you hit the ground. Yeah. And when you fall into a deep, dark hole and you know that you've got like four screens to go up before you get to where you were at, it makes you want to cry. Yeah, it's very demoralizing. Add to that, there is a special type of enemy in this game that I neglected to mention earlier, the eagles. The eagles at first I thought were your friends. The eagles are not your friend. <laughs> no, they are it's not. not like Lord of the Rings where the eagles come <laughs> no. at the end. This would be like if they pick Frodo and Sam up, they fly them up to Mount Doom and then they drop them into Mount Doom. And then put on the ring and right. become the Dark Lord. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> These eagles are no good. So anyway, they're also flying around looking to make your day happy and fun. So the things that I like about this game is that it has that ultimate play the game look, which means yes. that there are very, very many bright colors. This thing uses every single color the Spectrum can make. There's very little color clash. It's, it's, it's programmed well, so you yeah. don't see the color clash. Um, and they, you know, they could have easily done this same sort of game and just put platforms instead of you know, the things hanging on the wall. So I thought that there was a nice attention to detail here. Um, your your guy moves quickly. Uh, he's pretty well animated. Um, the the jumping is consistent, uh, although it, it's frustrating. At least uh, I never felt like the guy was not moving in a way that I expected him to. Um, I think that the dangling effect was cool. This may be the earliest game where you can kind of swing Bionic Commando style, you know, and work your way down, or Ninja Rope style. If we want to talk about, you know, worms, it's more akin to the Ninja Rope. Um, and uh, and I, I thought that there was a nice variety of enemies. Even though the enemies are all pretty much the same, you know, in terms of what they do to you, they look different, and that's yeah. yeah, and actually, uh, the enemies have little nests that if an enemy flies into a nest, it will actually morph into a different enemy. Mm. Which I thought that was kind of cute. This game, I guarantee, there are are a group of people out there that played this game ad nauseum, love it, Mm -hmm. because this is a game you can love. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's more than just a, a, a low effort game. It's you can tell that they cared about this game and, and put some effort into it. Here's my problem. Um, if they would have put a, just a touch more effort, if they would have made uh, the weapons do something more than just look different and kill one enemy, and, and the boss battles, and that's being very generous, mm-hmm. the, the bad guy's literally just standing there blocking your path. Yeah. Uh, so he could be a road cone, and it would be the exact same fight. But I see what they were going for for this game. It's a 
huge exploration game. If that's your thing, you could spend forever mapping this thing out um, and probably have a great, great time. So if someone said, you know, that's my favorite game, mm-hmm. I would be able to see it. Because it does have a Metroid-type feel. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, even right down to the, the weapons to mm-hmm. get past the next boss type uh, of affair. Absolutely. This is this is a very, uh, it's 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 sort of a prototype of so many exploration-style yes. games which were to come. And it, it's always astounding to me how trends in video game development happened uh, in the West and in the East sort of at the same time. Like there was just something in yeah. the air where people were like, we need to move in this direction. Um, this game reviewed, uh, it, the early reviews were, were very good, were very good. Obviously, this was, uh, compared to a lot of what was out there in the Spectrum world, this thing was a cut above. Yeah. Um, the, uh, a lot of the early reviews praised the exploration aspects, like you said, they, they, they praised the, the, the huge world to explore. Uh, it wasn't until later on in the, the more modern reviews where this game sort of got knocked for being too difficult. And even when this game was released one year later on the C64, uh, reviewers had sort of come to terms with the fact that the, the, it was it was starting to show its age a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, the graphics in this top tier. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The gameplay in this, and, and by gameplay I'm just talking about uh, the way you move uh, the the shooting the daggers that aspects of it all really good. It's just implementing them into a game that's more fun than frustrating is where this thing fell flat, and that's a pretty bad place to fall flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is this going to be something that I ever play again? Never. No, never no. in a million years. <laughs> I mean, if you you could dedicate a month to this game, mm-hmm. you really if, could. And if you're out there and you're going to dedicate a month to this uh, to this game. I got no problem with mm-hmm. that. I can completely understand why you would do it. If this is your game, this is a great thing of what it is. Uh, this is not my game. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the the ending. I'm going to spoil the ending. Oh my gosh! Uh, you basically go. There's a there's well, you you basically escape through a top screen, an open top screen, and you get a uh, a text screen that says, "Congratulations, you've escaped the underworld. Be sure and drink your Ovaltine." Yeah. It's uh, it's very, very disappointing for a yeah. game as beautiful as this. They should have had somebody draw a One nice ending, ending screen. screen would have been all it would take. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I will say that this game does appear on the rare retro replay collection that was released for the Xbox One a couple years ago. And if you are going to play this game, this is not a bad way to do it, and I'll tell you why. Uh, you can of course turn on Infinite Lives, but you can also turn off monsters. Wow. And having the ability to turn off monsters and just make this into like a strategic exploration and jumping style game would make it a lot that more a fun. Sounds a lot more appealing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you have this on the Xbox One, uh, make sure you explore the options screen and consider turning that off. Uh, we did get, oh, and I want to just quickly go over the magazine reviews. Uh, Crash, this was a Crash Smash, a 92% in Crash. Uh, CVG gave this a 35 out of 40, and Sinclair User gave this an 8 out of 10. So again, this was well-reviewed upon release, and it was only later on that uh, the bloom sort of fell off the rose. Uh, We have some uh, user reviews here on the Discord. Uh, If you are a Patreon supporter of our Sinclair, uh, you can leave us a review on the uh, reviews channel here. Graham W. Vebke says, a 5 out of 10 frustrating action platform affair. 
with touchy controls and insane difficulty. It is critical you collect the slingshot in the first room. Yes, that's I can I can vouch for that. <laughs> and the frustrating thing is you only lose life from falling, not from enemy collisions. Almost every collision sends you into a pinball machine simulation bouncing everywhere. It's very difficult to clear rooms because of the bouncing and as enemies keep respawning, I can't see how someone would find the weapons to defeat the castle guardians as described in the instructions. You need to jump over single pixel bumps on the ground, increasing the annoyance as the jumping mechanic is flawed. Not one of ultimate play the game's finest. Paul, aka Hermski, writes, 8 out of 10. Very impressive graphics and color use for a game of its generation. There's some color clash issues that could have been avoided, but its smooth, fast-paced action soon takes your mind off things. The game was a little overrated in the 80s, but the Stamper Brothers knew exactly how to market their wares. If you wanted to be a cool geek at school, you really needed to own a copy. Overall, Underworld was an impressive work of art for its time, but frustrating playability let it down. And finally, Chris Folds writes, I am told this is a classic, and maybe you need to be kind of nostalgic, or you need to be kind of nostalgic in the past to fully appreciate it, as it's likely pushing the envelope when it came out. However, for some reason, it was not one I got into back in the day, and coming into it now, it's very difficult and frustrating, and just doesn't play well. Slightly disappointing. Six out of ten. You know, one word that was in every one of those reviews. Frustrating. Frustrating. Yeah. 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 That's the quite possibly the worst attribute you can give to a video game. <laughs> Outside of made me have seizures, right. I think that's right there. Right. Um, so uh, I do want to, I can't remember if I mentioned this at the top or not, but this game was actually chosen for us by uh, Clive's Club member, Graham Vebke. If you are a Clive's Club <laughs> member on Patreon. He chose it and then killed it. <laughs> yeah. He, he Well, you know, it's funny because a lot of these games, um, they were, you know, the box art so nice yep. and you always saw it in the shop and you're like boy i'd love to have that one yep. and then you come back to them and you're like ah, maybe it was okay <laughs> um next week brent uh aaron will be returning uh maybe or maybe you'll come back you know it was great having you on the show uh we're gonna do uh cliffhanger and i believe that this is based on the film cliffhanger now, see i've played the nest version mm -hmm. i wonder if it's anything like that i don't know i don't know but pixels at dawn was the one that suggested that uh, and uh, we'll have to check it out. I know it's an ocean platformer, so it is probably of the same greatness that the NES game is. <laughs> an ocean platformer movie game. Right, exactly. Where can you go wrong? It is what you think it is. Uh, and, of course, uh, I would be remiss not to mention our uh, fine Patreon supporters. Uh, Hermski, Andrew Waite, David Spencer, Cap'n Crispy, Laurent Giroux, Gary Heather, Eric Nelson, Harbonaut, Graham Vebke, Frodo NL, Tapes from the Crypt, Pixels at Dawn, Chris Folds, Paul Harrington, and Christopher Hassel. Uh, All fine men. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for supporting our Sinclair on Patreon. Um, and I did look this up on eBay. Pretty expensive. The ultimate play the game games, because they have such great art and they are sold in big boxes, sure. uh, they go for a little bit of a premium, 25 to 35 bucks complete. I think that's fair. Yeah. I yeah. think that's fair. If you're looking to build a collection, you know, I think that you could you could do that fairly easily at prices like that. So anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. And until next week, rewind tape and press play. <laughs>